Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, every so often, I like to do a little field research on the show. That is to try and get a direct sense from you, the Sports Edge listeners, as to what you feel are the most pressing or most urgent issues in youth and amateur sports and in sports parenting today. You know, there was a time, of course, uh, when there was no real uh, or pressing issues in sports parenting. Kids just went outside and played whatever sport was in season. There was little, if any, parental supervision. Now, sure, kids back in the day, we all dreamed of someday playing college ball or pro ball, but there was no sense of urgency or of having to accelerate uh, one's progress along that pathway. It was just a much simpler set of times, a much enjoyable way to play sports as a kid. But back then, the closest any youth sport came to being organized uh, and being run by parents was, I guess, Little League Baseball. And of course, that was long before Little League Baseball became the huge international and corporate monolith that it is today. But of course, these days, things are not so simple anymore. In fact, sports parenting has become extraordinarily complicated. Moms and dads are forced to make important decisions regarding their kids on an ongoing and a regular basis, starting when when the kid is only five or six years old. And again, on this morning's show, I want to get a sense from you as to what you think the biggest issue is today when it comes to youth sports and sports parenting. Of course, our toll-free line is one 877 337-6666, brought to you by Mohegan Sun, uh, Connecticut, Mohegan Sun, Pocono, and Resorts, Atlantic City. Now, now think about this. What about decisions when the kid's four, five, six years old? I mean, what what do you do? Ask your kid about what what sport they want to play. They want to play soccer, basketball, football, ice hockey, tennis, gymnastics. What do you say or do if they decide that they start a sport and they don't like it and they want to quit? What do you do if you're a sports parent today about concussions in contact sports? Do you expose your youngster to those risks and do so fully knowing that your 8-year-old or 10-year-old has no idea that getting hit in the head could someday have serious long-term complications? As a parent, do you volunteer to coach your kid's team? Or do you just hope and pray that whoever does coach your kid has his or her priorities in order? Hey, look, we're just getting started. What about travel team tryouts? What, at what age should those begin? How much should I pay for my youngster to be in a travel team? At which point does it become prohibitive? And which travel team, because there's so many of them in so many different sports, how do you know which travel team is the best? Should I push my kid to specialize in just one sport? 
after all, you know, suppose you like do a lot of different sports, but you know that, well, I better specialize, forget the other sports, just play one. What about transferring from, a, from the kid's current public school district to a more competitive private or parochial school for sports? Look, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. It's just a tip of the sports parenting experience. And, of course, as kids get older, the, the issues get more and more complex. Uh, we mentioned, of course, tryouts, the tryouts for the high school team. How, what do you do with a, whether you have a kid plays for a difficult coach? Discipline issues. What about getting recruited for college? Look, here's the deal. As we have said in the show many times in the past, the entire chronology from the time your youngster first shows some interest in athletics at age four or five or six until they actually finish playing high school sports at age 18. That's only a span of about 14 years in which you as a sports parent are confronted with having to make all sorts of crucial decisions when it comes to your kid in sports. And again, we know the landscape of sports changes constantly. It's totally uncharted territory. All right, so again, let's talk about from your perspective, because obviously you guys are all sports fans and many of you are sports parents, what do you think is the biggest issue today when it comes to kids in sports and their development? And as a coach or as a sports parent, what are we doing in terms of the long range? How does this affect our, our children? one 337 That is our number. Let's start with uh, Damiano in Huntington. Good morning, Damiano. You're on the fan. Yeah, good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Listen, uh, I've listened to you the show for uh, since you started. You've been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm a long-time coach for uh, youth soccer in Long Island. Right. Uh, I have a soccer academy that develops players. But let me tell you, I, I thought that you were going to be talking about this issue. On Long Island now, uh, Barcelona and Valencia, uh, two clubs from Europe, uh, they want to establish their academy on Long Island, so they have their tryouts. Yep. And what exactly they did is they invite, uh, they have about 4,000 kids tryouts. On, on, on every age group, they will get three teams. Uh, they promised them at the beginning that the, uh, the first team will be free and the rest of them they will pay. And, and we are talking about $2,000 to that. Times 4,000, we're talking about $8 million. <laughs> you're talking about you're talking about uh, dollar cents here that people they don't realize that the kid is not going to go anywhere, and nevertheless they are not going to play high school ball. Forget about college ball, and, and and they are going to these places, and they took every single kid that stepped into their tryouts, well, which means that the entire ships like one, two, three, one thousand, two thousand, two thousand, two thousand, two thousand, two thousand and so on. So it's an issue that actually you have a platform or a radio to talk about it and open some eyes on Long Island because Long Island, they go crazy for the figure that they have the next Messi and, and Ronaldo, and they don't. Let me, let me just make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Are, are you saying that, that for the tryout, how much does the tryout cost? No, the tryout itself, it doesn't cost anything. I see, but if you make the team, it's $2,000. Yes. Okay. But everybody makes the team. That's the irony. Even in your town team, they don't make you to do take the team. These groups here now, they decided that they're going to do minimum three teams. They're going to take all the kids. So but all the minimum they're going to do is three kids and three teams from each group. 
on uh, you know on every age group. And so, you know so how many how <laughs> many good players are in Long Island every year? <laughs> hey, this you know you know as well as anybody. It's not just Long Island. There are great soccer players everywhere. And look, it just what you're saying is it's just all about making money. And obviously, all this money that's going to be generated for these kids on these teams. Yeah, it's going to go to some coaching and some fields, but basically it's going to somebody's pocket. That's what it's all about. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but and, then, and of but course, the, the, irony, yeah, the irony of all these is everybody wants to try something new. And they want to go and say that my kid plays for Valencia, and they will pay the two $3,000. But 2000 is just the beginning. Yes. No, no tournaments, no this, no that, no that. So at the end, they're going to add so much. To the, by the time they, they turn around, it's going to be to the five thousand, six thousand, you know, a year supply, I, I, and, and the kid is not even worth it. I hear you. Thank you for the call, and yeah, that, that's unbelievable. But it's it's what happens and today. Look into it. Look into it, and, and you'll find out that it's more into the surface of what I'm talking about. Yes, and I'll be glad to talk to you again if you need to, if okay. you want to. Great. Thank you. Take care, Damiano. Thank you, Rick. You bet. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go up to, to Wisconsin. Roger. Good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good. How are you? All right. Hey, uh, I just want to talk about. I, I think this the the specialization is a, is a bad deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like how you promote, you know, two three sport athletes and letting the kids sample between when they're six, seven, eight, all the way up to fifteen, sixteen, and, and try different sports. And uh, just a little story from out here. And I'm in Nirvana in Wisconsin because mm-hmm. I'm a lacrosse coach. Okay. We, all the baseball guys out here are, are creating business for us because they're having tryouts at seven years old. Great. Because <laughs> I, I took a program from no kids in 15. We got 89 kids this year. I mean, it's uh, like I, unbelievable well, because we're not, we're not all about that, you know, you know, you got to play all year round. You got to do all this. And, and I think that specialization is a bad deal. And uh, I tell my, I tell him my own son's story. He played baseball through six years, through sixth grade, and now he said, you know, Dad, seventh grade, I want, I want to play lacrosse. And I'm like, all right, buddy, let's go. And now he's playing T2 lacrosse. I, you know, Roger, I'm looking at a break here, but I have to tell you, and I'm glad you checked in this morning. But yeah, specialization is a huge issue, and it has evolved so much over the years. Uh, and thanks for the call this morning. But yeah, I mean. We're seeing that as one of the major concerns with parents. And what do you have to do? Should you have your kid just play one sport? Or, I mean, what do you? I mean, these are the issues we're talking about this morning. Uh, we heard just before from Damiano about the fact that uh, you know the the tryouts for for soccer and making tri- our tryout or travel teams of soccer is getting unbelievably expensive. That's a real concern for a lot of people. Uh, all right, let me let me, let me take a time out. Uh, and again, we're talking this morning about what you feel are the biggest pressing issues today in sports parenting and youth sports in this country. one 337 6666 That is our number. I want to hear from you this morning. Uh, let me take a break. Dave Uram has your, your update. When we return, I'll go right back to the calls. And back here on the Sports Edge, you know, uh, John Sterling was just talking about old-timers today uh, at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, and one of the, the uh, promos I heard a few minutes ago, uh, they, they played the, my dad's call of Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series. And <laughs> I got to tell you, I've heard that call now, I don't know how many uh, millions of times, but, uh, but Dad, and I know you're listening this morning, <laughs> you really nailed that call. That was just a great, great call. 
I still get a thrill every time I hear that. Uh, Okay, we're talking this morning about what are the biggest issues when it comes to youth sports today. Obviously, this is a a very, very complicated topic uh, because there's so many things that have changed so much so dramatically over the years. And I'm taking your calls, doing some field research at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to uh, to Ralph in Manhattan. Hi, Ralph. You're on the fan. Good morning. Good morning, Rick. I like that field research. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you know, um, the uh, the idea with all the head injury, and um, I, I couldn't I couldn't in good conscience put my kid on a football field. And I know many people will probably castigate me for this, but I'll tell you something. Football is a concussion delivery system in essence, and you cannot make this game safe no matter how hard you try. And you know something, Rick? They don't try well enough with the the helmets. I mean, if you're talking about this plastic outer uh, covering that they insist upon having, this is the most detrimental to a a child or anybody's uh, head uh, when they're encased in this plastic uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. And if they're they're, they're worried about, um, you know, in the pro football situation, they're worried about um, eliminating the sounds of the game. This is insane. And I think it, it trickles down to the youth program too, Rick. Ralph, I'll tell you, uh, this, you know, the concussion epidemic is very troubling, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Uh, I, I I always reiterate to. Uh, to moms and dads, you understand there is no way to prevent a concussion. And and by the way, not just football, although obviously that gets most of the attention, any contact sport, whether it's football, ice hockey, soccer, people often mm-hmm. look at the fact that kids heading a ball in soccer, that's a concussion, uh, or kids just banging heads in soccer, uh, you know, other sports, field hockey, pretty much any contact sport, there's that risk for concussions. And Go ahead. And, and yeah, no, I'm sorry. And you know, Rick, you know, you can't avoid everything. I'm not. This isn't a panacea. You know, I'm not saying that you can avoid everything. Everything has a risk. When you walk out your door, you're risking something. Yes. You know, but sure. but I, and also with the here's what bothers me too: the softball field where the uh, to me the softball field with the way the speed they throw the ball and everything else it's a bit too short. The pitcher's mound to the plate is much too short, uh, much too uh, short a distance. Uh, without a, I know they're wearing face protecting now sometimes, not, not all the time. Yeah, a pitcher needs something to protect his or herself when they deliver a, a, a softball because that ball comes back with such velocity. I mean, you, you cannot, um, you know, I, I would never, I'd be cringing in the stands watching my kid play that game and wondering, is a ball going to come back to that box and, uh, you know, uh, do something terrible to my uh, young man or young lady? Yeah, uh, Ralph, and, and always let me move on, but thank you for the call. I uh, appreciate you. it. You know, and, and, and regarding softball, you know, of course, the great irony of a softball is that it's not soft. It's as hard as a hardball. And, and uh, as Ralph pointed out, that uh, we are we do see more and more, uh, particularly girls in high school and in college, women wearing a face mask when they pitch so that they don't get nailed by a line drive off a bat. Uh, obviously, the they're, they're very close to the plate. Some wear shin guards as well. Yeah, this is all about concussions and obviously about trying to prevent these kind of accidents from happening uh, to softball players. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jack over in New Jersey. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. Jack, good you morning, there? Rick. How yeah. are you? Good, Jack. What's up? 
Yeah, I, I think the, the issue really has become the monetization of youth sports, where there are so many uh, people that are dependent on, uh, you know, the professional, the trainers and things like that, that it it sets this um, this attitude amongst the parents who, again, they're chasing, they believe that there's a, you know, a golden goose at the end of uh, youth athletics that they're going to get a scholarship. Correct. And, and where they don't realize where they don't realize about the triangle of you know not many people go there, and if they do, if anything, they're going to get a partial or or, or just maybe. And the good thing is they might be able to get into college, but um, it, it, it's distorted that way. It is distorted because, uh, again, a generation ago, uh, kids, of course, dreamed about maybe going to play college or pro ball, but it was a dream and there was no formal structure. There were no travel teams. As you say, the monetization of sports today, the parents feel, well, you know, if if my kid does have a a chance or or has a glimmer of talent, uh, I'm sort of obligated at a young age to make sure that he or she gets enough uh, the best coaching available yeah it's going to cost money uh and once you go down that 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 slippery slope of paying for travel teams or private coaches or specialized camps whatever it might be it gets very pricey and only gets more and more expensive but you're doing as you say jack the parents do it because they feel this might somehow enhance the kid to get a, a scholarship and um even if they do get a scholarship, unless it's for football or, or basketball, for the most part, they're all just small, small, sliced and diced scholarships. They don't, they don't really, they rarely get a full scholarship. Totally so, agree. Yeah. Well, Jack, I appreciate that. Let me move on. Thank you for the call. But that's that's a major part of this as well. That youth sports has become so much about the money and and travel programs. Let's uh, let's go to uh, Jason up in Connecticut. Hi, Jason. You're on the fan. How you doing? Good, Jason. I, I've coached at the high school level. I coached 15 years of high school soccer and high school baseball. You talk about the specialization in sports. Uh, I played for the school where I coached and go back to the mid-'90s, and we had a lot of cross-platform athletes where there was half a dozen of us that played both soccer and baseball. Mm-hmm. As we got to the years where I was coaching the past 10, 15 years, you started to see more strict baseball players, and then soccer started to get more popular more dedicated soccer players, where back when I played, the athlete that didn't have the option of football played soccer just for something to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the youth side, because I have a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old, and now I step down to be a dad and I'm coaching them, uh, sometimes the parents are the worst part. We, we do a pizza party at the end of the youth season, and with an 8- and 9-year-old team, I had a parent come up and say, Coach, we're getting trophies? And I looked them in the face and said, we won one game. It's like giving your daughter an A on her report card just for showing up to school. <laughs> and he had a puzzled look. And the parents expect that immediate gratification for their kids. Um, even at my older son playing 11- and 12-year-old baseball, uh, they thought I was too aggressive as a coach just because I asked for 100% effort. I don't ask for 100% execution. I don't expect them to be all-stars or or go to specialty camps, but if your uniform's clean at the end of the game, you didn't try hard enough. Jason, some me... of the other coaches and parents were, and they thought it was, I was a little too tough on them. And all they wanted to see is the kids enjoy the game. Last thing you want to do is see a kid fail on the field and then cry all the way home and not want to come back to the field in the next game. Well, How, how old are these kids you were coaching? Uh, well, my, my two kids are 9 and 12. Okay, so, so, so by... I, I'm doing the 9-year-olds and then the 11 and 12-year-olds. 
and then, like I said, I also did the high school age. And but you, it's the younger ones that they, they expect the trophy just for showing up. Oh, I, well, yeah, we know about everybody gets a trophy. But but yeah. when you ask the kids that say at age 12, uh, which would put them, I guess, in middle school, and you ask them to make a 100% effort, uh, you, got, you got some pushback on that? Yeah, because I, I was just, I mean, dive, knock the ball down, keep it in the infield, and make make that effort. I, my my kids, and I mean, not patting myself on the back of them, I mean, they, they had the luck to grow up on a high school field. I mean, my 12-year-old has been doing soccer keeper drills since he was four years old, so he's yeah. a phenomenal keeper. And even being a lefty, he's my catcher because he's the only one that's not afraid to get hit by the ball. <laughs> I mean, for little things like respecting the umpire, he knows what the courtesy walk is. If the ump gets drilled by a foul tip, he's going to walk the next ball out to the mound to give that ump a couple seconds. Just right. those little nuances of the game and teaching them how to play it the right way and respect officials. Well, I got to tell you, Jason. When your fellow coach can't respect an official. Yeah, I know. I, I absolutely. That's obviously an integral part of the game. Uh, you know, but uh, and, and thank you for the call this morning. I just find it's extraordinary that that uh, if a coach at the, even at the youth level, these are the lessons you should be imparting to kids. Like when you go on to play a sport, we are looking for a hundred percent effort. I mean, I, I never heard a coach say, "Can you just give me seventy-five percent effort or eighty percent effort?" That doesn't make any sense. That's not how sports are played. Uh, but again, that's that apparently is the world we're now in. Let's go uh, to Brad in Middletown. Hi, Brad. You're on the fan. Rick, always a pleasure. How are you? Good. How are you, Brad? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, I'm glad that a topic like this came up because you, re- you relate to the youth sports compared to Major League Baseball and stuff like that. Kids are computers, uh, and, and the adults program them. Now, if it's, it's if you teach the kid at the right age, give it, give everything you got, but yet have fun doing it, that's going to build him more because now he's realizing not only he's going to please himself, he's going to please others. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the most important thing that any adult, coach, parent, or anybody is that take care of your school books first. Because they say you fail at sports, which you will never tell them, but just for argument's sake. As long as you're strong at this, you'll always get ahead. But then what everybody seems to be forgetting, you should have your child apply himself at 100% at everything he does. But make sure you're having fun doing it, because all that's going to happen down the road, you're going to be happy. What's your opinion on that? Well, I don't... (laughs) I, I, it, to me, I'm glad you brought this up. It all starts with, with the academics because obviously uh, every, everything you do in sports, if you want to keep playing sports, it's seen as, as an extracurricular activity. No one should ever think they're going to end up making uh, their career in sports because it's just too far too far fetched a dream. But the academics and staying involved in school and doing that's kind of, that, that's where it all starts, Brad, because if you're doing a good job as a parent, you're making sure your youngster understands how important it is to crack those books because that's, that's going to propel them to having a, a successful career and, and, and doing well in life. Yeah, but also the biggest thing is, is that it's always good to turn around and have the fallback plan. Like, you know, a lot of people in sports, they're great at sports. Excellent sports, and they probably do well at sports. Like, you know, I'm not going to bring up any bad memory, but the thing is, is that if you're good at one thing, but you are failure at other things, 
that are, that are just as important. Like you got people out there that they got this superstar. He's well, great well, at baseball, great in boxing, but then he don't know nothing about finances, don't know nothing about ledgers, don't know nothing about. Well, this is what I'm talking uh, about. You have to be. You have to pay attention in school, and, and uh, you know, it's like I said all the time, and, and, and Brad, thank you for the call. You know, Grant Hill always talks about the fact, the great NBA uh, basketball player, for years he talked about having two parachutes in life, the fact that his parents schooled him and said, look, it's great to be a great basketball player and pursue your dreams and want to play basketball in college and, and the NBA, but if something doesn't work out, you got to make sure you have another backup dream so that they didn't care what, what that other passion would be, but have something else that you can make sure you can make a transition away from sports and into something else in life that's going to be just as fulfilling. And I think that's still just tremendous advice. Uh, and, and I think it's something that all parents need to remind their kids as they go through you know, middle school and high school, have plan B, have another parachute in your pack just in case that athletic dream doesn't work out for you. All right, let me, let me take a time out. When I return, we'll talk more about these issues because I'm getting quite a list here of what you feel are the main concerns today when it comes to youth sports. And uh, back here at the Sports Edge, don't forget, at 9 o'clock this morning, Ed Randall will be by, and, of course, he'll be talking baseball. Of course, we are celebrating old-timers game uh, at Yankees today. And uh, I always invite you to check out my website at askcoachwolf.com. By the way, I'm in the process of uh, upgrading the uh, the website and um, – We'll have some nice surprises on that uh, website and blog in the weeks to come, so make sure you stick around for more details. Right now we're talking about what are the the biggest and most pressing issues in youth sports today. Uh, I'm doing some sort of field research to get your thoughts and comments at 1-877-337-6666. Let's go to to Terry up in Amenia. Hi, Terry. You're on the fan. Good morning, Coach Wolf. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And first of all, thank you for... Reminding me about your father and the perfect game. Yes. Believe it or not, that was my first baseball game. You you were there? I was there as a child of eight. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if your dad remembers what I so vividly recall. It's all that I remember is how quiet Yankee Stadium became <clears throat> beginning about the seventh inning when Don Larson was pitching because everybody knew what was possible. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to ruin it. <laughs> and the worst thing they did was add to his pressure by being quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if your dad remembers it the same way that I do. But anyway, the reason I picked up the phone this morning was an article in the Journal News, the Hudson Valley newspaper yesterday. Right. Pearl River community surprised by sudden deli- decision over Oliva. Of universally loved popular football and baseball coach who um, recently took his team to the first sectional title in 33 years, all of a sudden is let go. Mm -hmm. And as usual, everybody is stonewalled. We don't talk about these decisions. To what degree and how do the parents and the supporters of a popular coach fight back. Well, Terry, it goes on a lot. Yeah, you know, I, we actually uh, talked about this uh, a few months ago. Uh, do the parents, and we know that the high school level, high school athletic uh, coaches, uh, they're all done on a year-to-year basis, and uh, when, when changes are made, 
Uh, parents want to know how come, obviously, with uh, in this case, uh, with Coach Oliva. He just took, as you said, the baseball team to the sectional championship. He seemingly is he, you know, he's a wonderful guy, lives in the community, and so on and so forth. Don't the parents and the kids have a right to know why he wasn't renewed? And as you just pointed out, this is standard operating procedure. The uh, school administration says, no, this is a personal matter. We're not allowed to ever talk about it publicly. And that, of course, as far as I'm concerned, is baloney. <laughs> well, it's, it's a cheap explanation. It's a cheap excuse. They need to be able to explain why. Well, it'd be nice if there was some sort of, as you say, uh, feedback documentation. Obviously, school administrators feel there are reasons why they have this sort of uh, this uh, this sort of wall that says we're not going to discuss personnel issues. That I can understand, but when the, when there is no scandal involved, when parents like a coach, when the students like a coach, and the coach is successful, they need to fess up. Well, Terry, I'm not going to defend this either way because obviously there there are there are valid points on both sides of the issue. What invariably happens, of course, is that things begin to invariably leak out as to why a change was made. And then, you know, the, the, the community can respond to that. But right now, as you said, everybody was kind of like, whoa, what, why, why would they do this? Why would they make this kind of change? Because for better or for worse, the coaches become sort of the face of the school district. Obviously, there were, you know, wonderful teachers in every school district, but it's the coaches who become sort of the, the face of the school. And when a change like this is made, which is unexpected, people get very, very angry. And, and for understandable reasons, for yeah. precisely what you, what you said. Yeah. And, but as to put it in the most, if you will, politically correct form, sooner or later, in cases like this, the fecal matter will collide with the ventilation system. <laughs> and on that bright note, thank you so very much, as always, for giving me... <laughs> oh, thanks, Terry. That was great. <laughs> Interesting way of putting that, <laughs> that phrase on the air. <laughs> let's continue. Let's go to uh, let's go to Staten Island. Hi, Dan. You're on the fan. Hey, how you doing, Rick? Uh, you? We know each other for many, many, many years. We coached against each other in uh, college days. And my oh. big point is that uh, these kids, I'm these kids, the people running all the programs from six-year-old T-ball up through high school. They have to learn everything they possibly can, not only about coaching and the skills of whatever sport they have, but also dealing with athletes. And it's not done. And I'll just give you a couple examples. Mm -hmm. There are overwhelming, uh, you know, a good amount, even if the high school coaches will give kids names of instructors in the area and say, you know, these are the coaches. I really think you should contact them. They know what they're doing. Fine. You then have a percentage that's, and say, you cannot, these are high school coaches, you cannot go to a private instructor. You, can, you must only do it our way. Well, if that's Don Mattingly or uh, Jim Leland coaching the high school team, fine, go ahead. But these are just, you know, they're not skilled coaches. When I say skilled, they're not experienced. And uh, one quick uh, example, several years ago, a uh, president of a little league said, we're going to have a three, two three-hour clinics using this sports facility and with these instructors. All the instructors were either had college 
D1 college coaching experience and or professional playing experience. So mm-hmm. she's doing a great thing for her coaches. Right. About 70% of the coaches in Little League. Oh, that's tremendous. About 20, about 30% were fighting her. She was the president and saying, well, what do we have to, what are we going to learn? What are you going to learn? What are you going to learn from a division one college coach or a professional player? And some of them said, well, do we have to go? We coach the major division. <laughs> we, we are the 11 and 12. And, but she said, well, here's the deal. You don't go. You're not coaching. I will tell you, I'm not kidding around. So they all come. Yeah. The good thing was to a person, 100% asked that, can we have a couple more of these? Uh-huh. We never realized how little we know about baseball. And that, that's great if that happens. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen a lot. And the other thing, like with injuries and so forth, I hear things about a coach telling kids that I work with and say, and well, uh, they say you throw 60 pitches and you don't touch another ball for four days. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you kidding me? I mean, the whole concept of lengthening the arm, throwing the arms, all the, but here's a coach that is demanding his players. This is what you do. And he's teaching and, and they just don't know. It's the, the onus well, Dan, is on yeah, coaches Dan, to learn. I mean, here, here's the thing. And you're absolutely right. Uh, there is so much out there these days, particularly in sports like baseball, softball, very, very complicated skill sets, uh, and, and it's incumbent upon those who are volunteer coaches to basically sort of say, look, I know my limits, uh, and I, I, I can teach you the fundamentals of the game, but in terms of the real sophisticated uh, pitching mechanics or, or hitting or fielding, whatever it might be, this is best instructed by people who actually have real knowledge in this area. And um, I, sure. now, to your point about high school coaches uh, saying to kids, "Well, no, you got to do it my way, or or forget it." Well, again, that's a little short-sighted because you know all coaches have strengths. Uh, you know, all coaches have weaknesses or blind spots. But you know, there's no one perfect way to hit a baseball. <laughs> there's no one perfect way to throw a baseball sure. or pitch a baseball. So you got to be open to all sorts of new feedback and avenues. And, um, yeah, I would get a little worrisome if, if, uh, if my, my son came home from baseball practice at high school and said, no, nah, the coach says you've got to do it his way or, or you don't play. That, that's bothersome to me. And um, I, think most, I think most kids feel the same way. Well, sure. And just a real quick, I'll let you go. But I know a few kids that actually uh, they've signed. They've signed professional contracts. And they were involved in a couple of those schools. And now these are the best players in the school. Yes. And the father very nicely said, uh, no. <laughs> now, here's the deal. I have this coach. I have this professional pitching coach. In other cases, I have a professional hitting coach. Now, they're the best. They're the best in the whole program. Mm-hmm. And, and they eventually wound up D1 scholarships and signing pro contracts. That's how good these kids were. So for those kids, it was, if there's a problem with this, I'm taking the kid out of your school. And now, okay, no problem with you. <laughs> you know, but, but unless you have that leverage, they, they, they just put this hammer over the kids. Um, but, though, you know, those kids said, no, no, here's the deal. I mean, you know, I, the reason why he is your best pitcher is that I'm paying $100 a, an hour once a week to work with this uh, great pitching coach that I found. So, well, again, and, and Dan, you know. thank you uh, and, and yep. for the call, and thanks for checking in. I appreciate it. Take care. Uh, you All know, right. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, uh, Dan makes some good points here. Uh, you know, look, <laughs> the fact is we are in a very complicated time in terms of coaching and doing the right thing for our kids. I would urge all coaches 
to always keep an open mind because there are no perfect ways to to work with kids when it comes to instruction, not just in baseball or, or in softball, but pretty much any sport. If you look at any sport objectively at the professional level, you'll see all sorts of different ways that pro athletes, that the, you know, the, the best of the best, uh, go about uh, executing their skill set. And, you know, there's no perfect way. It's not to say you can't offer suggestions, observations, but the fact is, that's to say definitively, uh-uh, you're doing it my way or you're not going to play, that, that's, that's a warning sign to me. Uh, and that's something that all of us uh, involved in sports should be aware of. All right, let me take a time out. I'll be back with more. Big Wolf. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Fan. And Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Well, we covered a lot of uh, various topics this morning, uh, issues in sports parenting and kids uh, growing up in sports these days. Um, I'm jotted down a bunch of notes here and, uh, you know, the concerns, of course, issues about specialization, what is the right age, the cost of travel teams and the promises that travel team programs make to parents about their kids going on to getting a college scholarship, uh, you know, the, obviously the issues about concussions. Uh, this is such a huge, huge problem for parents today about letting their kids uh, play contact sports, knowing that concussions cannot be prevented. Uh, the issue about safety in softball with face masks. Uh, and, of course, the, the monetization of youth sports, uh, which is a whole new unregulated industry. And, and as we see the advance of private coaches and tutors when it comes to our kids trying to learn the mechanics of various sports. Uh, you know, these issues, of course, the ones about... Uh, <laughs> trophies for everyone still out there is a major topic the concern about asking kids to give a hundred percent effort when they play that struck me as something unusual because you know most kids they do want to play and they do want to give hundred percent effort so when you get some pushback about that that strikes me as odd the reality that we see fewer and fewer kids playing two or three sports in high school we've known about that for some time but it marches on and, of course, the philosophy with a lot of coaches who feel perhaps threatened by uh, travel teams or outside uh, private tutors. Coaches telling kids in high school, it's my way or the highway. Again, my thanks this morning to Brian Rascona. My thanks to you, the listeners, for checking in with all these various topics and really good field research, and it's, it's greatly appreciated. Okay, second round for Ed Randall. He's up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.